Hello, listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. The Hydra. The Sphinx. The European Dragon. These creatures are all known for high body counts, and they garner the respect they deserve because of it. But what if I told you that there was a creature more deadly than any of these three? A creature so feared that other animals would flee in terror at the mere mention of the beast, and villages of God-fearing peasants would turn to witches to keep the creature away at any cost. A creature so vicious it killed anything that entered its territory, and so voracious it could devour creatures several times its size, and so adorable that despite all this, it could never be taken seriously as a deadly beast? Well, my friends, have I got the beast for you. This week, we're going full-on watership down with some of the fluffiest, hoppiest, stabbiest bunnies in mythology, We'll take a look at some possible evolutionary trees, as well as some explanations for why there are just so many horned rabbits around the world. Whether it's the Welpertinger, the Rasselbock, or the fearsome Almirage, no bunny loves them more than a monster's advocate. So to start, let's take a broad look at the bunny in general. A male rabbit is called a buck, a female is called a doe, and a baby bunny is called a kit. Rabbits and hares are not rodents. They belong to the family Leporidae and the order Lagomorpha, which they share with pikas. Lagomorphs differ from rodents in that hares, rabbits, and pikas have four incisors in the upper jaw, not two, like rodentia, and have enamel on the front and back of the incisors, whereas rodents only have enamel on the front of their incisors. Yep, teeth are very important in cladistic biology. Now that that's out of our way and we can all breathe a little easier, for the sake of time, and because many cultures around the world use rabbit and hare interchangeably, for this episode we'll be using the term rabbit to refer to both rabbits and hares. Know that there is a difference, and it will be on the quiz later. Rabbits are often associated with the moon, such as in Aztec, Japanese, and Chinese mythology, and while normally good and virtuous characters and legends, they are just as equally likely to play the trickster, such as Br'er Rabbit, the Hare and Yorba mythology of tortoise and hare fame, and Nana Boso, the sometimes human, sometimes rabbit trickster god in many Native American traditions. This fascination with rabbits has a lot to do with their place in the ecosystem and the world at large. You see, rabbits are quickly multiplying herbivores that are small enough to require few resources but big enough to be a staple in the diets of many predators, including humans. Despite drawing the short straw on this chicken nugget-esque existence, rabbits also catch our attention because of their surprising resilience. Rabbits are tough creatures when they need to be, with strong hind legs that can deliver a powerful kick and surprisingly sharp teeth. Perhaps this hidden fighting spirit was inspirational. Perhaps it's all the fault of a strange disease. Perhaps rabbits just look like they could use some horns. Whatever the case, this fierceness is the key characteristic of our first species, 
the theoretical ancestor of all horned rabbits, the Almirage. The Almirage is described as a large, harmless-looking yellow rabbit that just so happens to have a two-foot-long spiraling black horn sticking out of its forehead, like a unicorn. Unlike a unicorn, though, the Almirage primarily uses this beautiful spiraling horn for murder. You see, despite emphasis being placed on the fact that this rabbit does look especially harmless, even with the horn, the Almirage is a fiercely territorial creature, killing any and all animals or humans that enter its territory by stabbing them to death with its horn. As if this wasn't incentive enough to leave it alone, the Almirage is not only ill-tempered, but also apparently has an insatiable appetite. And unlike most bunnies, the only thing it eats is meat. It can devour creatures several times its size without effort. And apparently that appetite, combined with insatiable bloodlust, was enough that all animals would flee an area that an Almirage had traveled through, pretty much without exception. If an Almirage decided to hop to a human settlement, or there was even a rumor one was about to, the people in the Almirage kill zone would immediately turn to their village witch, as apparently the only thing that could stop an Almirage was a true witch, who could render it harmless just long enough for people to remove it from the area. That's right, not kill. There's no killing these things. Just temporarily remove. Now, some people might be rolling their eyes at the alleged fierceness of this Bonacula-esque unirabbit. But actually, both the appetite and the fierceness of this rabbit make sense from an evolutionary standpoint. If we assume the Almirage evolved from a herbivore, a rabbit or a rabbit-like creature, then, like the panda, it faces a problem of digestive efficiency. Let me explain with pandas. Pandas are constantly eating bamboo, and part of the reason is that, as a bear, their digestive systems are wired for an omnivorous, slightly leaning towards carnivorous diet. They aren't true herbivores, and so they don't have the gut enzymes and bacteria necessary to efficiently digest plant material. Because of this, they only get a fraction of the potential nutrition and energy out of each piece of bamboo, so they have to eat a whole lot more to get the energy they need to survive. Rabbits already need constant access to food to survive, because they eat tough-to-digest grass and have a strange digestive system. It stands to reason that a creature with a herbivorous digestive system, especially a rabbit digestive system, if switched to meat would have a hard time digesting it without the proper setup, and, as a result, would have to eat almost insatiably. As for the fierceness, rabbits are naturally territorial when resources become scarce, and engage in dominance behaviors such as boxing to keep potential threats to their resources, usually other rabbits, at bay. And resources would very quickly become scarce for the Almirage. You see, this creature is originally from Arabic poetry, and is said to live on a mysterious island called Jezirat Altenyin, within the confines of the Indian Ocean. An island singular. So if the Almirage really is constantly looking for food, and murdering other animals, and each other, which is probably a good thing, and their disconnect from a mainland is probably the only reason humanity still survives to this day. But. 
let's say for fun an Almirage does make it off the island and swims and murders sharks all the way to mainland Europe. Assuming it can stop killing long enough to check out the local rabbit population, it may be in for a surprise. You see, in this part of the world, instead of a rabbit with a unicorn horn, in the 16th to the 18th centuries, Leptis cornatus, or the horned hare, dominated the rabbit-based mythical landscape, and was assumed by many to be an actual creature. It was, by all accounts, pretty much just a hare with horns. But what's interesting is how readily it was believed in. Leptis cornatus was described as a real animal by many scientific texts, such as Conrad Gessner's Historia Animalium, and they were even given a local habitat, Saxony. On top of that, real-life historical people claimed to own or have seen horned hares. For example, Holy Roman Emperor Rudolf II claimed to have a pair of Leptis cornatus in his menagerie. In his actual biography, a French scientist, Nicolas Claude Fabry de Priche, related that in 1606 he visited a widow in Leuven who had two horned hares, apparently from Norway. He noted that one had died before his arrival, but that still means he firmly believed that he had seen at least one living Leptis cornatus. British naturalist John Ray, in his 1673 book, Travels to the Low Countries, Germany, Italy, and France, reported that he had seen, and I quote, in the Museum of Apothecary Jean van der Meer, the head of a horned hare. He then goes on to say that the head was next to the tooth of a hippopotamus, but Ray makes it very clear that he doubts the existence of hippopotamuses as real animals. I mean, come on. Giant cows that live in the water? Unlikely. Now, we can assume, based on its historical popularity, that the Leptus cornatus did pretty well for itself population-wise. After all, unlike the Almirage, it doesn't constantly need to murder to survive. It can just eat grass. And so presumably it has more time for other things, like mating and expanding its territory. If it's an old enough species, assuming it was around before written accounts, maybe it even managed to cross over to North America via the Beringia land bridge like mammoths. And maybe it eventually evolved into the elusive North American cryptid, the jackalope. We know Leptis cornatus definitely made it at least as far as Germany, because Germany plays host to two species of horned rabbit, one very much like Leptis cornatus, and one with an interesting twist. The first species is called the Rasselbock, which is described as a rabbit with horns, but also canine teeth. Now, this does not necessarily suggest that it's carnivorous like the Almirage. After all, there are several species of musk deer that have prominent fang-like canine teeth while still being herbivores. Plus, there have been no reported attacks by the Rasselbach, and it lives in relatively remote locations in Germany, the Thuringia Forest in the Harz Mountains. So, our German listeners are probably safe, at least from the Rasselbach. Not so sure about the Walpertinger. The Walpertinger lives in the alpine forests of Bavaria. It has the head of a rabbit, and sometimes fangs like the Rasselbach, and the horns of a deer. But then, 
something seems to have happened because in addition to a rabbit head and deer horns, the Walpertinger also sports the body of a squirrel and the wings and sometimes also legs of a pheasant. Now, you might be tempted to say squirrel body, rabbit body, pretty much the same thing, right? Well, fair enough. But the wings are certainly interesting from an evolutionary standpoint. Not the least of which because in order to get wings, this rabbit either has to be part bird or part reptile, because the mammal solution for wings are leathery wings, such as in bats. So, ignoring the logistics of how that mutation worked out, it's tempting to write this species off as too unrealistic to include in our evolutionary tree. Except, the Walpertinger actually has its own subspecies, the Rauricle. The Rauricle is apparently the same creature, but native to Austria. It's so well documented that it has its own name, but so similar to the German Walpertinger that it is regularly referred to as the Austrian counterpart of the Walpertinger. But what really cements the Walpertinger's place in our evolutionary tree is that the Swedish have actually found an evolutionary missing link between Leptus cornutus and the Walpertinger in the form of the Scavater. The Scavater is a rabbit with the forequarters and hind legs of a European hare, and the back, wings, and tail of a female wood grouse. Now, the Scavater that made the Scavater a popular mythological creature in Sweden is a taxidermy construction made in 1918 by taxidermist Rudolf Granberg. Apparently, the modern-day Scavater originated from a hunting story told by a man named Hakan Dalmark during a dinner at a restaurant in Sundsvall in the beginning of the 20th century. Dalmark claimed that he, in 1874, had shot a rabbit creature with the back end of a grouse during a hunt north of Sundsvall. On his birthday in 1907, his housekeeper jokingly presented him with a painting of the animal, made by her nephew. Dalmark treasured the painting, and shortly before his death in 1912, he donated the painting to a local museum. During an exhibition in 1916, the manager of the museum became acquainted with a taxidermist, Rudolf Granberg. He mentioned the hunting story and the painting and asked if Granberg could reconstruct the animal. And in 1918, Granberg created the taxidermy Skyvedir. And it has since then been a very popular exhibit at the museum, which also has the painting on display. Now, this origin may seem cut and dry and as fake as a Fiji mermaid, but the Skyvedir may actually have much older origins. A strikingly similar creature, called the Rabbit Bird, was described by Pliny the Elder in his book series, A Natural History. This creature had the body of a bird, with a rabbit's head, and was said to have inhabited the Alps. This would put the species time-wise as having existed before the Walpertinger. So, maybe there was something to old Dalmark's hunting trip. Now, evolutionary tree aside, I have to confess. I've been keeping something from you listeners. You see, horned rabbits are actually a real thing. The reason there are so many well-documented cases of people seeing or owning horned rabbits is that rabbits can actually grow horns. The problem is, this is generally a very bad thing for the rabbit. Shope papillomavirus, or SPV, is a papillomavirus which infects certain leopards, such as European rabbits, 
black-tailed jackrabbits, snowshoe hares, and brush rabbits. And it causes keratinous carcinomas, typically on or near the animal's head. Basically large, melanin-darkened, cancerous growths that look a heck of a lot like horns. It's very transmissible rabbit to rabbit, but only 25% of infections lead to squamous cell carcinoma. So often, if a rabbit is infected, something else will get it before the cancer does. So from time to time, you get a rabbit hopping around with horns, seemingly fine. Or if the growths have become painful, actually unnaturally aggressive. There are historical records of people owning specimens of Almirage and Leptus cornutus. And maybe this time, that's 100% true. That does it this week for bunnies. Thanks for jumping down the rabbit hole with me and learning about some horned and antlered bunnies around the world. As always, if you want to learn more, I hope you'll check out the show notes. Musical score, as well as intro and outro music, are all done by the super awesome Scott Ethington. If you like the music, and you know you do, you can find more of his work at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud. Before we part ways, a small promo. You like monsters, right? Come on. If you're listening to this podcast, you know you do. Well, if you like monsters, you probably also like D&D. So what if I told you that there's a book on Kickstarter right now that combined both of these amazing things? Would you go check it out? Atlas Animalia is a monster variant book, being worked on by Metal Weave Games, the people who brought you Baby Bestiary, and creature artist Sarah Dollinger. It takes standard D&D monsters and gives them regional adaptations, and the result is more natural-feeling creatures. For any type of world your campaign is set in, whether you're a DM looking for more realistic creatures to hunt your players with, or a ranger looking for the perfect companion, Atlas Animalia has the monster for you. The Kickstarter is only going on until July 8th, so go check it out now before it's too late. Trust me, you'll thank me later. Finally, if you like what you heard, please write and review us on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster. <laughs>